Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, let's just jump into what we're talking about today. We're continuing this series called I Quit. Like I said, last week we talked about I Quit Making Excuses, and this week we're going to talk about complaining. We want to say I Quit Complaining. Now, how many of you guys know somebody who just likes to complain all the time, right? You know somebody. How many of you are the person that likes to complain all the time, right? <laughs> If that's you, you will likely find something to complain about before the end of the service today, okay? It's just, it is likely that that'll happen. Some people complain about everything, though, you know? They complain about the food service. They complain about how late their pizza was. They complain that, that the internet is slow. They complain about the weather. They complain that, that their, their phone dropped a call again. They, they just complain about everything. And as I began to look into this trend to kind of understand it, I decided to ask a question to my Facebook friends. And I asked them, I said, what are you tempted to complain about? And I got a bunch of responses. And uh, let me share some of them with you here. These are the most named. I kind of whittled them down to the subjects in which they were complaining about. The very first one uh, was work. People complain about work, whether it's the workload, the hours that they put in, or maybe even their boss. They complain about them. They complain about money issues, about not having enough, about you know, making, making ends meet. They complain about health issues. You know, I got, I got health stuff going on, or it was my, my weight, or I, I'm really struggling in the gym, or wh- whatever it may be, or they, they have a medical condition they complain about. Or they say, well, I'm always so busy. I just don't have enough time in my life to do the things that I want to do. Or they said another thing they complain about was rude people. They don't like rude people. They complain about them. They complain about other people complaining was somebody else's comment. <laughs> <laughs> and then people said, well, relationships. That, I'm tempted to complain about my relationship. I'm tempted to complain about my spouse or my kids or my friends or my teammates. I'm, I'm tempted to complain about them. And then this one, this one was kind of my favorite one. It said, people who post questions on Facebook. <laughs> that was from my friend, Pastor Buddy Watts, out in Canal Winchester at Legacy Church. Yes, that was the bus. I just threw him under. You're welcome, buddy. Anyway, he, he said, so, so these are the things people are, are commonly tempted to complain about. Now, as I looked through the list, I kind of noted, I even counted up, I noted this, and I'm not even sure why it is, but there was more women commenting than there were men. What is that all about, ladies? I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm not. It is true that that happened, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just messing with you all this morning. So I'll tell you a common complaint, and this is one that seems to be universal, is the complaint about the toilet paper roll. Y'all know the complaint I'm talking about? Now, it's not the one about replacing the toilet paper, because see, if they would actually do that at my house, that would be great. So that's kind of my complaint, but it's when they put the toilet paper on the roll, there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And there are people that are over, which is on the outside, that's the right way to do it. How many of you, all right, oh, so... See, I told you this was common. This is popular. And then the wrong way is on the underside. How many of you guys are under people? Yeah, you know, you don't want to to say, oh, there's a few of you. Look, let me just tell you, because I'm the voice of God in your life right now, that it is over, okay? Let me just tell you, the other way is sinful, and you need to repent of your ways, all right? 
All right. Now, everybody complains. I can already hear you. You see, everybody complains. Why is this such a big deal? Why have you picked this topic that we're going to talk about today? Well, and even when you look in Scripture, you see that there were people that complained. All the way back to the very first story in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam is complaining. See, he and Eve uh, ate of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Adam do? Well, it wasn't me. It was the woman. She's the one you gave me. It's not really my fault. He starts complaining about the woman that God gave him to be his wife. He starts complaining immediately. And then when we look uh, uh, further into Scripture, we find a guy named Job. Now, Job's a guy who had lots to complain about. He was really wealthy, had a big family, had good health, and Job loses it all. His kids all die in a, in a horrific accident where a building crashes down on him because of a storm. He loses all of his wealth, and then he loses his health, and his wife is still around, but she may as well not be. She tells Job to curse God and die. And so Job is in a place, now he's losing his health as well. It's failing, and he says this in the book of Job. He says, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Job does what a lot of us do. When things aren't going our ways, we speak out. We just give free reign to our tongue. We say what's on our mind, and we complain. We don't hold anything back, just like Job. Now, there was one group in the Bible who complained more than anybody else, and this was the Israelites. Now, the Israelites are a people, if you don't know the history on it, let me just kind of break it down for you, give you a history lesson. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And they've been in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt. And they've been crying out to God as their slavery has just gotten worse and worse as the Pharaoh has oppressed them more and more, increased their workloads and reduced their materials and, and, and said, you have to do double the work without, with less materials. Like he's made it hard on these guys. And they've been crying out to God for hundreds of years for God to free them. And so God goes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, it's, it's time to get my people out of bondage. So I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to go up to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You guys know this song, right? <clears throat> if you don't, that's cool. You're just cooler than the rest of us. So anyway, so he goes to Pharaoh, and he tells him, God sent me to tell you to let the people go. And he says, yes. He says, no. He's yes and no. He's back and forth like a Katy Perry song. And then he finally puts his hard no and says, uh-uh, well, I'm not letting the people go. And so God sends 10 plagues, 10 miraculous plagues on the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh finally says, all right, you guys can go get out of here. And as the Israelites leave, they're blessed as they go. They wander into the wilderness and then they come up against a mountain on one side, the sea on the other. And oh yeah, Pharaoh's changed his mind. And so now his army is chasing the people into the wilderness. This is a tough spot. And so God causes a wind to blow. The seas, the Red Sea begins to part and the people walk across on dry land. The Egyptians now seeing that the people are, are crossed on the other side, they decide to follow suit. And as soon as they got into the middle, God lets the winds die, the waves crash in, and Egypt is, the, the army of Egypt and Pharaoh is destroyed. The Israelites continue on their journey. Where are they going? They're going to a place called the promised land where the land flows with milk and honey. I imagine that's like being at Orange Leaf, you know, where the fudge, the fudge brownie is flowing and the, they got these levers. You can pull them. I don't know what that looks like otherwise to flow with milk and honey, but that's where they're going. It's what the Bible says. Does anybody else think that kind of stuff is weird when you read that in about land flowing with milk and honey? What is that? 
And so that's where they're headed. And as they walk through the wilderness, God provides miraculously for them. His water comes out of a rock. They wake up every day and there's free food on the ground. Their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out as they journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And what do the people of Israel do? They complain. They complain. They grumble. And here's what they say in Exodus Exodus 16 in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. These are the two leaders. This is Moses and his brother Aaron. They're grumbling against them. And the Israelites said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all of the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, can we just push pause on this whole message today to thank God for pots of meat? Oh, pots of meat. We can get around this like bowls of meat at least, right? Like pots of meat sounds weird, a bowl of meat, a a burrito bowl of meat. (laughs) Dear Lord, just thank you for Chipotle now. We just receive it. We thank you for it. Amen. But the people of Israel continued complaining and complaining to Moses. And if you want to be divisive, if you want to push people away from you, if you want to hurt and offend the heart of God, then keep on complaining. You can rationalize it. You can excuse it all you want and say, well, tons of people complain. Everyone does it. You can do that. Or if you want to have a life that truly honors God in a significant way, you can quit complaining. Those are your choices. So what I want to do is I want to spend the next few minutes talking about why complaining is so dangerous because there are two principles we'll find in the Old Testament Two principles that, ex- that outline the cost of complaining. The first cost of complaining is that complaining offends the heart of God. If you're taking notes, complaining offends the heart of God. I think God looks at us oftentimes in the same way that we look at our kids, right? After all, we are his children. See, our kids are blessed. They're, they're just straight up blessed. That my kids have more stuff and more access to really cool things than I ever did as a kid. My kids have iPads, iPhones, Apple TV with Netflix and Hulu on it. They can watch anything they want to whenever they want to. They've got PlayStation 4s. They've got TVs in multiple rooms. They've got Wi-Fi and Internet. They've got access to all this really, really cool stuff. And when I was their age, I was sitting at a table with a box of crayons and a coloring book and thought I was hot stuff. Anybody else out there with me? You thought you were hot? Yeah, right. You got the Crayola Plenty Pack, like the 24 colors, and you were, that was it. That was boss. You knew your mom cared about you when she bought Crayola, not the, not the off-brand, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But our kids are so blessed. They've got so much stuff, and they have more opportunities than you and I ever did. And yet, my kids will sit around and complain, Dad, I'm bored. Oh, it is in that moment that like this pain starts in my hand and my hand just wants to go like this and then gently wrap it around their little throats and go, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Right? You just, you're like, you little brat, are you kidding me? You have all this stuff to do and you, you want to complain? I think this is how God looks at us. He blesses us with so much and yet we find the time and the space in our lives just to complain about what we've got, 
The people of Israel were the same way. Numbers 11, 1 through 2, he says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Basically, their complaining ticked God off. It offended him deeply. And he sent fire around the camp. So here's a hot tip for you. If you ever come home and your house is surrounded by a burning ring of fire, it is possible that you have been complaining just a scotch too much. Just, just a little bit. All right? The principle here, I think, is clear, though. That complaining offends the heart of God. It offends the heart of God. They said, well, they were complaining to Moses. And Moses noted that. He said, God, these people are grumbling and complaining to me. And God said, ah, but they're complaining about me. It's clear that he took it very personally. They're complaining about their situation. The second, the second cost of complaining is that complaining carries significant consequences. Complaining carries significant consequences. Practically, if we just look at this on a practical level... The, the people, if you want to continue to complain, you will drive people away. Complaining is like having spiritual bad breath. What do you do when you start talking to somebody that has bad breath? You, you just write you back away. You take a step back and like, you know what? Can we just be internet friends or FaceTime friends? Like, we don't need to have this close of a conversation, you know? Let's talk on the phone later. Bye. Right? Complaining is like having spiritual bad breath. You want to drive people away. That, that's what it does to them. In fact, reading the book of Job for me, because there's 40 chapters of Job just complaining, has been really hard for me throughout my life. I don't like being around people who complain. I just choose to not. I, can't, I, I, just don't, I don't like it. It will drive people away. Spiritually, complaining carries significant consequences with God as well. Numbers 14, again, this is the story of the Israelites. He, God responds and says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. God didn't like the complaining. And so he said, look, there's this promised land, there's this blessing that I want to give you, but because of your complaining, none of you get to have it. Not, none of you get to have access to this. Now, I can't prove that this will necessarily play out in your life, but we can see from the very nature of God here, because God's no respecter of any one person, that if he behaved this way with these guys, it's likely he'll behave this way with you, is that there may be a blessing in your life, that God's just like, you complain when you're complaining. You cannot continue to complain against the one who blesses you and expect him to continue to bless you. It can cost you significantly, practically and spiritually. You know, another way that it can cost you is that complaining or, or uh, uh, being negative draws other negative things to you. Let me explain it this way. There was a real estate agent, and he's showing houses to people. And the first couple, they love the house. They're considering buying it. They said, we have one last question. He said, sure. They said, What's, what are the neighbors like? And the realtor said, well, what were the neighbors like where you came from? And they said, well, they were horrible. 
They were nosy. They were rude. Just the scum of the earth. We didn't like them at all. He said, well, that's probably what you're going to find here as well. Next couple came in and looked at the house. They loved the place. They asked the same question. What's the neighborhood like around here? He said, well, what was it like where you came from? They said, oh, we loved it. They were great people, loving, caring, beautiful community. We, we love being there. He said, that's the kind of community that you'll find here as well. Why? Because the real estate agent understood that what you're looking for is what you will find. If you choose to look at life through a negative lens, if you have a bias towards something, then you expect to see it. You will interpret new information or new experiences, new circumstances, and the way in which you are bent. Does that make sense? It's called a confirmation bias. You have a bias towards something. I, I, I see this. I, I had a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago. He's, he's in a conversation with me. He said, that's racist. The way this person acted towards me, that was racist. The thing that that person said, that was racist. He did that because he's racist. Everything was about other people being racist. And I said, you know, it is quite possible that they're not racist and that you're the racist. It, it is quite possible that you're seeing everybody that way because that's who you are. You've got a bent. It's the same way with a young lady. A young lady gets hurt by a guy, and so she decides what? She decides that all guys are jerks. Every single guy on the planet is a jerk. He's never going to be good to me. And so she enters every relationship with that bent, with that bias. And so what does she do? She just assumes every guy is a jerk, and she sabotages every relationship, believing that she's never going to be happy. She's always going to be hurt. Maybe it's like you. Maybe you came in today. Maybe somebody drug you to church today. And you came in with a bunch of biases. You don't like church. I don't like preachers. I don't like those people at that church because, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And you walked in here today and you saw some people that weren't perfect. And you're like, aha, I found them. See? Hypocrites. <laughs> you came in looking for them. So you found them. Maybe you came in and said, my kids don't ever like kids ministry. And so you're ready. You're ready to pick your kids up today and hear that they had a horrible time in kids' ministry. And let me tell you something. They're not having a horrible time. It's really awesome back there. <laughs> well, believe that. <laughs> but we have these biases. And when we approach life this way, when we believe negative things, when we approach things in a negative way, all you get is negative stuff. That's why complaining, complaining costs you a lot. If you want to be bitter and critical and negative about things, it's easy to find things to be critical, negative, and bitter about. It's, it's really, really easy. You don't need that in your life. If you want to be critical, if you want to be negative, it's going to cost you. It's absolutely going to cost you. So why are we like this? There's a lot of cultural reasons. Some of them are simple. They say that the more blessed we are, the more used to having our way we are, the more critical we become. We're used to getting everything we want. We're used to having access to everything we want. It's got to go our way. They say that this particular idea or this particular thought stems from the fact that we believe we are the center of the universe. That we believe that the story that we are living in is our story which is the farthest thing from the truth. We are walking out God's story. And he is the one who's at the center. We're just a part of it. And yet, we've been trained to believe that it's all about us. This comes from, from very, very simple things in our culture. Do you know that years ago, the, the family unit used to be huge? 
There used to be tons of kids. They used to have as many kids as they could possibly have. I got, I got a buddy here. Dan, how many siblings do you have? Seven? 11. Oh, 11 siblings. Good Lord bless your parents. 11. 11 siblings. Big families. This is how big our families used to be. How many of y'all come from a big family out there? Maybe five or more. Five or more. There's, a, there's quite a few of you. But back in the day, there used to be even more of them. They just had kids. And so what happened during that time is that the kids conformed to the needs of the family because there was no way for mom and dad to please every kid. Like dinner is a perfect example. In a large family, you don't ask every kid, hey, what do you want for dinner? No, you make dinner and then let them come and get it. If they don't like it, that's just more for everybody else. They ain't got to eat. You need to have water. But nowadays... We've been told, hey, you need to limit your family size as best you can. How many kids are we supposed to have? Let's just see if I'm right. What do they tell you you're supposed to have nowadays? 2.5. So you're not off when you say three. That's really, really close. 2.5 is what they tell you you ought to have. I don't even know how you have 0.5 of a child. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. Am I just supposed to adopt one somewhere? And like, you stay over there, but I'm going to support you financially, or I'm going to love you half the time. How do you do that? 2.5. And so with smaller families, what's happened is the world or the culture has kind of shifted in the home. We conform now, the families conform to what the kids want. It's the kids' schedules that we honor. It's what the kids want for dinner that we honor. What do you want for dinner? Let me make it for you. And so the kids grow up thinking that this is the way the world works, that everything is about them, that everything is for them. And those kids grow into teenagers, and those kids turn into adults. And then as adults, what happens? We've already got this this idea that it's all about us, and when things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, when, when somebody tells us no, what do we do? We throw ourselves on the floor and have an absolute hissy fit in the form of a Facebook post. (laughs) Y'all didn't know I was going that way, but I know you. I see you. I unfollowed you quick as you could blink, too. I love you. I'm just kidding. Seriously, though, we have a royal fit. And we shake our fist and kick and scream. And we may even turn to God and blame God for why we didn't get what we want. Because we're used to believing that the world is all about us. That it revolves around us. That we are the central character to the story. And complaining is an intense spiritual problem. That represents that we believe we are at the center of the story. The reality is is that God is at the center of the story. It isn't about us. It is about him and it's about his glory. It's about us enjoying a relationship with him. Getting to know him, loving him, serving him, and glorifying him eternally. That's what it's about right there. But it's about us serving him, not him serving us. That that is just not the way it goes. And when you complain, you believe you're the main character. You, in other words, believe that you are God. And you are worthy of everyone serving you. And this is a profound spiritual problem that has to be dealt with. So what do we do? How do we restrain our complaining. Well, I'm going to spend the rest of our time today giving you the what, the why, and the how of restraining our complaining. Here's, here's the what. When it comes to restraining our complaining, Paul said simply to do this. You ready? 
It's real deep. Do not complain. That's what he said. That's what he said. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It doesn't get any easier than that. Do it all. Look through your life. Do you do everything without complaining and without arguing? Because you can. Some of you are like writing this down. I'm going to post this up on the walls of my house so my kids see it. I'm going to tell it to them every day. What are we supposed to do? Do everything without complaining or, or arguing. Yeah, that's right. But think about this. If you applied this to your lives, hey, how about this? How about applying it to your marriage? Let's go here for a second. Because every marriage that is in trouble, I guarantee you at the core of it, there is some complaining. And the problem is, is that you believe you're the center of that relationship. And being the center of the relationship, everything revolves around you and what you want. And when you don't get your way, when he doesn't pick up his socks, when she doesn't do the dishes, when little Johnny's left at school for hours and hours because neither of you guys communicated, we complain, we grumble, we argue. When we just put God at the center of that relationship, everything changes. Everything changes. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Paul says this way also in Ephesians 4.29. Instead of complaining and arguing, what he says is, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Basically what he's saying is if you got, don't have something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Oh, and by the way, you need to find something nice to say. So if you're going to say anything at all, you need to build somebody up. It doesn't need to be complaining. It doesn't need to be arguing. It needs to be building somebody up. Instead of riding your kids, you need to find a way to build them up. Instead of complaining that you're stuck in traffic, you need to thank God that you're not the cause of the traffic down the road. Amen? Hello? Are you out there? We, we don't want to complain. You say, well, I'm sick of my job. And instead of complaining about your job, just be thankful you've got one. There's plenty of people that don't. We don't have to complain. We can let what comes out of our mouths be beneficial. We can choose to build each other up instead of tearing them down by complaining. Besides, complaining never makes anything better anyway, does it? So that's the what. Don't complain. It's really simple. You ready for the next part? The why. See, we talked about this last week, that when we have a what, we need to understand the why behind the what. Otherwise, we won't care. We won't do it. So here's the why behind the what. So why we don't complain. So you can become more like Christ. I know this is oversimplified. I get it. You said, that's it? That was the big reveal? Well, isn't that what we're doing here anyway? As Christ followers, isn't that what we're doing? Not just following him, but learning to become more like him? So if you want to become more like Christ, you have to quit complaining. That's, that's what this says. Could that verse we, we read here just a moment ago, Philippians 2.14, back to it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And there's a comma there, though we're going to lead into a next verse. Don't be confused by that. That's a comma. And it says, so that. That means that this is the why. You ready for the why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Who is blameless and pure? It's Jesus. You can be like Christ, in other words, is what he's saying. Blameless and pure, like Jesus, Children of God, like Jesus, 
without fault, like Jesus, in a crooked and depraved generation. This is your opportunity. This is the why. This is why you do it. You want to be like Jesus? Quit complaining. He could have listed any number of activities there. He could have said, quit lying, quit cheating, quit lusting, quit stealing. But he didn't say any of those things. He said, quit complaining. Quit complaining. Because to stop complaining requires that you will keep God at the center of the story. That you'll realize on a regular basis it is not about you. Becoming more like Christ, though, is more than just biting your tongue and choosing different words to say. Because you all ever had that conversation where you chose to bite your tongue and say the right things, but when you got home, you told your wife exactly what you wanted to say to that person? Come on. Or maybe you didn't tell your wife because you didn't want to be judged, but when you told your steering wheel as you were driving away, oh, I wish you would have said that to me because this is what I would have said, right? Am I crazy? Am I the only one? All right, y'all with me. All right. Tracking. Here we go. It's good to know I'm not alone in things that I do sometimes. But it's more than just biting your tongue. It's actually a heart issue. It's what's going on here. Because if this isn't right, if you're really on the throne of your own heart instead of God being there, by the way, which is called idolatry, if God's not really there, the center of the story for you, then what's going on here is never going to be right. You're just doing these things externally. And Jesus makes it very, very clear. It's not the outward stuff that matters. It's this stuff here. He even says so. He says, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, what's here controls what happens here. You can grit your teeth and choose not to say anything. But you know that you're hating on someone in your heart. And that is not okay. So this is why we quit complaining. Not so that it affects our mouths. So that our hearts can be changed. So that we can become like Jesus. Now I promised you the how. Because if it's not just biting our tongue, what is it? Well, it's choose, choose to rejoice no matter what. Choose to rejoice no matter what. It's not helping to complain anyway. You might as well choose to rejoice. You might as well choose to understand that in all things in your life, God has a purpose and a plan. Amen? He's got a reason for why you're going through the discomfort that you're going through. And he promises that no matter what you go through, he'll use it for his glory and he'll use it for your benefit. Ultimately. Because it's his story that he's telling and he is at the center of it. Paul did this really well. Paul, the, the apostle, wrote most of the New Testament. He found ways to rejoice in whatever state he was in. And this guy was naked. He was clothed. He was cold. He was warm. He was hungry. He's been fed. He's been rich. He's been poor. He liked being rich better. All y'all like being rich better, right? He's been shipwrecked. He's had ground under his feet. He's been bitten by a snake. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. And I don't mean recreationally. Those of you that were asleep just woke up. Stoned. Man, this is a cool church. 
this place is real chill, and you just threw your feet up, you know? That's not what I'm talking about. They threw stones at him and tried to kill him. And when Paul writes this next verse in Philippians, the same verse we've been reading, the same chapter we've been reading, he's writing it from his jail cell. He's imprisoned, and he's pretty well aware that his life is about to end. And yet he writes these words. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now this has got some weird phrasing in here, so you got to understand it. What does it mean being poured out like a drink sacrifice? He's saying, if my life is to come to an end, if this is it, if my life is to come to an end as a sacrifice to God so that I could have reached all of you, it's worth it. It's worth it, and I can rejoice in it because look what it's brought. I'm here in chains and likely going to die, but my journey has yielded all of you in faith. He found that worthy. It was a place where he spoke from in his heart that God was at the center of the story. God was the most important character, not Paul. Paul's the guy who said, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives through me. He'd been crucified with Christ is what he called himself. Not literally, but in spiritually, in, him, in and of himself, he said, it's not me that's alive anymore. It's God's will. It's God's plan that is alive through me. It's Jesus. He said, and if all this happens and God is glorified and more people come to know Jesus, I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. And you all should rejoice too is what he says. Don't feel sorry for me. Just enjoy this ride. Just enjoy it. His heart was aligned with God's heart. God was the center of his world. And he trusted him as the supreme God of the universe. He knew him because see, Paul used to be this guy named Saul who was a religious guy. He was a religious guy who persecuted the Christians. He was a bad dude for religion. Thought he was doing it for the right reasons. God appears to him and changes his life. He meets Jesus. And everything about his life changes. His heart is transformed. And Saul becomes Paul. And this same God who transformed his life, he knew would transform others. And so he was happy Happy to have his life poured out. He was happy because his only reasonable response to encountering the love of God that was perfectly on display in his son, Jesus Christ, his only reasonable response to that love was to love God in return and give him all that he had. And this is our response. This is our response when we encounter God's love to realize it is about him that he loves us and we can trust him because he's trustworthy, that he's faithful, that he has a plan even when we don't understand it. And to keep him at the center, we can choose to rejoice no matter what. For me, I, I, I struggle with this from time to time and I don't even realize it sometimes. I know you all are the same. You're sitting here listening to this and you're like, well, man, I don't, I don't really complain. Well, you don't want to admit it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I do. Sometimes I complain about this place, if I'm being honest. But not about you. I love you. 
What, what do I come? You say, Pastor, what do you complain about? Well, well we, we spend a lot of time planning, preparing, because we love you and we want you to connect to God. We want you to know him. That's the beginning of everybody's spiritual journey. We want to remove obstacles and barriers to that. We love you and we welcome you. We spend a lot of time working on that. And so that means that even coming down to production values, meaning the lighting and the fog, which was a little out of control in here this second service. Amen. Come on. Let's be an amen out there. It was a little out of control. And, and, and we spend a lot of time investing in this stuff to have a cool worship experience for you. And the band is incredible. And, and oh my goodness, Kayla Spicer knocking it out of the park today. When she started singing that song, Oceans, it got to that part. I, I'm not even going to do it. But you know which part I'm talking about where she's like, ah, she was just gone. I'm, I got chills, man. I got chills. And we spend a lot of time investing in excellence because we want you to know that God is a God of excellence and that he loves you. And so when things don't go right, I, I leave here complaining sometimes. And I don't complain to my team because I love them dearly. And I know that mistakes are made sometimes. I know that we forget to turn things on or we forget to turn things off or that we forget to plug this in or, and it affects how things go. Sometimes we forget to be at our stations. And, and when that happens, I'm like, oh, God, but... Maybe that one person, maybe that one person saw that and maybe they, they decided they didn't like me. Maybe they decided they didn't like God as a result because the light was flickering. How silly is that? But that's the burden I carry. Even to preach, come up here and preach. I want to make sure that I bring a relevant message every week for you. I want to make sure that it's something you can apply to your life. That it's not so far out. It's not some far-fetched idea that you say, I have no idea what he was talking about. What are we talking about today? Complaining. Yeah, you all understand what we're talking about today, right? I work hard to make sure you understand that. It's important to me. It's important to me to be funny. On days when I'm not, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. I miss that. I love, I like to engage and be funny. And there's times I leave this place and I just complain to God. A few weeks ago, I said to him, I, I'd never said this before. I said, God, I hated today. So I just hated today. He said, you know why you hated today? I'm just complaining, by the way, letting him know. He said, you know why you hated today? He said, because you put production and yourself at the center of the story. Ouch is right, Miss Sylvia. You got it. I was, my heart was just pricked. I said, well, God, that's never where I want to be. He said, you think because the production didn't go well, because somebody missed their station, because somebody missed a cue, that people aren't going to give their hearts and lives to Christ today? You think that my spirit isn't at work in people's hearts and lives? You think that because that didn't go right, that people weren't impacted and changed? See, because if I really believe that, then I believe that it's all of this stuff that leads you to repentance, that leads you to a place where your life is changed. And so I needed to shift. I needed to align with what the reality is. And the reality is, is that all of that is on God anyway. That he is in control. That he is the one who sits on the throne. That regardless of what happens here today, that he's still working in our hearts and our lives. He's got this. And so I stopped complaining. I stopped complaining, and now, not that, 
I, I, I don't want us to try or work towards excellence because we want you to know that God is a God of excellence. And so we do that. But when things don't go right, my stress level isn't through the roof anymore. I can say, God, I just thank you. I just thank you that you're at work today and it doesn't matter that everything didn't go right, that you knew that was going to happen and you're working anyway. He's working right now. Even as I sit here and tell you this story and confess about how sinful I am, God's working. I could lay down and take a nap right here and you all could stare at me for the next 20 minutes and God's working. That's just how confident I am about what he's doing in here. It ain't about me. It's not about how funny I am. It's not about how engaging I am or how awesome the band is, which the band is really, really amazing. It's not about that. It's about God working. And so I shifted. And I want to tell you it's the same for you. No matter what it is you're tempted to complain about, you need to understand that your situation is not outside of God's control or his domain. He is still God. He is still sitting on the throne. Nothing is impossible for him. He knows what you're going through. He sees it, and he's about to turn your mess into your message if you'll just hold on. Don't get me preaching in here. I'm just telling you. See, I got that little bop going on. I just saw it. I saw it. It was like I was standing over there, and I saw it. I was going, go ahead, Pastor, just like this, to myself. This is all happening up here. I am crazy, folks. I'm a crazy man. I just, all that just happened. Seriously, God's about to take your mess and make it your message if you'll just rejoice in the middle of it. I'm not saying that you can't tell him how bad it stinks. Lord, this stinks right now, but I praise you because I know you got this. Because you're at the center of this. And even if my life is poured out, if I know that you'll use it for your glory. I know that you're going to change people's lives with this in some way. You're going to use this, so I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. We need to be like Paul. We need to align our hearts with God's. Let him be the center of our universe. Let him be there. It's not about us. I mean, you can complain. It's going to cost you an awful lot. It's going to cost you relationships. You can push people away. You're going to offend the heart of God, be divisive, attract negative things to yourself, or you can decide, I'm going to let God be the center of my story, and it's his story after all. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of the glory, and what we're going through is not as bad as what we think. We, we can choose, just choose to quit complaining today, to be more like Christ and rejoice and choose to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, though I know this is a hard one today because I'm well aware that it includes every single one of us. We're all complainers. But I thank you for the clarity to see that when we complain, we make it about us and that this is not about us. Lord, I, help, I pray that you would help us to see our sin, our waywardness in this, how far we've drifted from you when we begin to complain. Because it's not about us, it's about you. 
I pray, God, that we would do more than just silence our tongues, but that we would surrender our hearts. That we would surrender our hearts and align them with your heart. That we would place our hope and our trust in you because you are worthy of it. Let us be forever changed, Lord. Let us choose to rejoice as we face discomfort. Help us, Lord. Help us. Now, as we continue to pray, I I just want to speak to those of you that that maybe you don't know Jesus today. Let me just tell you something, that at the root of complaining is a serious spiritual problem. It's a fundamental issue. The reason that you complain is because you don't know God. See, our character that we talked about today, Paul, he knew God. That's why he knew he could trust him. That's why he chose to rejoice in all those situations. But if you're here today and you don't know God, you don't have that luxury. You don't have the opportunity to have a changed heart. Because you don't know him. God's greatest desire for you today is for you to know him. Because when you know him, you'll come to love him. And as you come to love him, you'll learn to obey him. And as you obey him, you will be transformed. But all of that begins with you knowing him. And so today, if you want an opportunity to know God, let me tell you how we do that. See, you and I, we were born with this sinfulness, the Bible calls it. It's a waywardness about us where we're continually doing things our own way. God has a plan for us, and we live out a life that is contrary to it. That's sin. And all of us were born with this sin nature. Every single one of us, there's nobody here better than you. Nobody's going to look down on you. Nobody says, whoa, they're a worse sinner than me. No, all sin is equal in God's eyes. Just because you sin different than the person sitting next to you doesn't make you a worse person. You need to know that God loves you right where you're at. But there's a, there's a spiritual chasm between you and God because your sin is terribly offensive to a pure and holy God. Though he loves you, he cannot dwell with you in relationship like he'd like because of your sin. He knew this. This is why he said there's a price to be paid and I'm going to send my son to pay that price for you because you can't do it yourself. There's nothing you can do to bridge the gap between you and God. There's nothing you can do to be able to enter into a relationship with him on your own. Jesus did it all for you. He came and lived a perfect and sinless life. He was tempted, just like me and you. He was a human, just like me and you, but he didn't sin. And because he didn't sin, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he chose to lay down his life willingly and pay a price for me and you. He paid the price of our sins, the penalty that we're supposed to pay. So we didn't have to. And there's nothing you can do to earn this. It's a free gift that he offers you. He only asks that you believe in him. Believing is more than just confession. It's a desire to follow him, to become more like him. And today, if you'd like to take that first step of faith, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know who God is. I want to be forgiven, made brand new. I want all that you offer. If you're here today and you'd like to take that step of faith, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a second. You can be included on that prayer or that conversation with God where you say, I want to know you right now. 
This is your opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you stand up. In fact, in a moment, we're going to celebrate with you because this will be the greatest decision you ever make in your life. So if you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to pray. If you want to be counted in, would you just kind of slip your hand up right now so that I can see that you're here? Would you say, Aaron, that's me. Pray for me today. Pray for me today. I want to say yes to Jesus. Yeah, come on. There's more. Don't be shy. Don't worry about what the person is thinking next to you. This is your opportunity. Anyone else? Yeah, I got you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Pray with me, church, and let's all pray together. Nobody needs to walk this life with Christ alone, so let's pray together. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you lived a perfect life that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. That you did all this for me in an incredible gesture of love. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Today I give you my life. Now you give me yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.